This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, I saw some chatter in the Taylor Stevens Facebook group about the Reacher series on Amazon, yes. and Julie and I watched that, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was, it was the most fun I've had watching a TV series in years i wonder what you thought about it i really enjoyed it i binged it i think i think i had all episodes finished like in two or three days or something which is embarrassing to admit because it's a lot of time in front of the television but it was really really good uh i i didn't really have a problem with the movies with tom cruise because i didn't look at them like this the same thing as the books i'm like okay so he has an unfortunately coincidentally same name as Jack Reacher. <laughs> Other than that, it's a completely different story. This is just Mission Impossible uh, in a different setting, you know? So I didn't have a problem with it, but I didn't really feel like I was, you know, they, it wasn't really the books or anything, and that's why so many fans hated them. Uh, just from the previews alone, I knew I was going to enjoy this uh, series because they found a character who really does Reacher well. And I, uh, I've i seen Alan Richardson in, I think that's, I don't know how to pronounce his name, in um, Titans, I think was the show that he was in, um, which is the whole, I think it's DC Universe. I, I'm really bad at the whole who does what, but it's the, the universe that has Batman in it. And so Titans is like the, the younger generation of that. And um, he played one of the characters, and I really didn't like him in that. He it just it was, until the very end of this, that, I think the third season or something. I was just like, I don't, I don't really like his character at all. But for Reacher, he was just perfect, and I liked that they um, the TV series did take some liberties. They changed some things, they changed some characters, and I like what they did with the character changes. This is not to diss the books or say anything bad about the books, but this is, they they improved. They improved on the book, I think, especially with um, the female cop, Roscoe. Her character in the TV show, in my opinion, was way better than her character in the books. Because, I mean, yeah, like I put in the Facebook group, coming from the person who created Monroe, of course I'd think that. But, um, yeah, I, I thought that was great. Love them. And and in the Facebook group, you see a lot of people saying, hey, I really enjoyed this. I've never read the books. Maybe I should give them a try now. And I'm like, yes, if you've seen the TV show and you liked it, then go read the books. Not if you've seen the movie because they don't have anything in common with, yeah. with each other. Yeah. But it was good. I really like the way they handled... Um, Reacher's the way that he 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 doesn't respond quickly to things. Well, he, he physically he responds quickly, but mentally he thinks a lot. 
and they showed him thinking, and they didn't try and explain what he was doing in the show. They would just see him watching something, and you could just tell he was pondering, and that was it. And I, I just thought that was really good, because there had to be a temptation there to somehow throw another character in to say, what's he doing? Oh, he's just thinking. Yeah, to over-explain it to the, yes, yeah. to the audience. So they didn't treat the audience like we were stupid, which I really, really appreciated. And so the, in the books, Reacher's not a very wordy guy. Uh, when he does speak, he speaks intelligently. He's an intellectual in a way. And and I think they did a really good job of that. A lot of uh, relying on the actor to emote through facial expression, body language, and not dumb it down by inserting a bunch of needless dialogue. It was just, I liked it. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, an art film here or anything. This yes. is just pure entertainment television, but for pure entertainment, it was really, really well done. No, like not non-apologetically. It was what it was. And for what it was, it was very well done. And I really felt like each of the cliffhanger endings were really good too. It's just like at the end of each of them, it's like, oh my gosh, this is such a good show. That was what I said to Julie every single time. And did you happen to notice what the title of episode seven was? I think it was seven. No, I I don't. I it was, unfortunately don't pay attention to those. It was Reacher said nothing, which is a line that's repeated <laughs> over and over yes. again in, in the books. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So I That's saw great. that and that, that just cracked me up. The other thing that, that was surprising to me and probably not to you, but at the end of the, at the end of the story, um, there's like a Stan Lee author appearance kind of thing. Like, as you all probably know, in a lot of the Marvel movies, Stan Lee, while he was still alive, would, would make an, an odd appearance. And so at the cameo, end, kind of. yeah, cameo. Yeah. At, at the end of the story, when they're in the diner, um, Lee Child walks by Reacher. I had no idea Lee Child was that tall. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've yeah, met him. Really so, yeah you, yeah, you would know. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's he's a giant. I had no idea. Yeah, he's, I think he's taller than the guy who plays Reacher. Yeah, I, I, think I, he was. I was, like, Googling. I was like, okay, so here's here's one of the, <laughs> one of the problems that I have <laughs> is that I know somebody who is in physical presence what Reacher is described in the book, right? Uh -huh. I mean, he might not be as muscular, but who is, you know, that six foot, because Reacher is described as six foot five, right? So this is somebody a little bit bigger than that. And, um, you know, they'll stand in a doorway and fill out the doorway, right? And so that's my real life frame of reference for how people will respond to someone of that relative height. And... So I had to look up how tall this real life guy is. He's six foot three, which on screen is really, really big, you know, because most actors are, are shorter than average. So on screen it works. But when I'm thinking of the way that people respond and all the jokes that they're making about his size, I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's not how it happens. But, you know, it did really well at effectively communicating the same exact sort of sentiment that is carried through the books. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. All right. We do have a topic uh, this week. I'm not quite sure how to frame it, but I was listening to a podcast uh, while I was walking a few weeks ago. 
And just as an aside, uh, the host of the podcast said, okay, well, let's cut to the chase. And then he started laughing and he said, you know, I, these phrases come up and I'm always curious about them. So um, in case you didn't know, this is where the phrase cut to the chase came from. And Taylor and I talked about this. She had a pretty good idea of what it was, but the exact phrase. I, I said at the time I was like, that's an editing term, isn't it? It has to do with movies where you're editing out the boring stuff and cutting right to the chase. I just want to go on record that that was what I said. Yes, yes. And so the, the phrase actually was, was first noted during the days of silent film where, you know, there's obviously there's no dialogue. There's just people looking at each other and making faces and, and doing things. And so a, a director or a producer or something, probably a director is like, okay, this is boring. Let's cut to the chase, which meant cut to the chase scene so that we can bring people back into the action. And I, I thought that would actually make an interesting topic for the show because we have spoken so many times about the need um, for there, there to always be, and I'm, I'm going to phrase this wildly incorrectly, but things need to be happening. There can't be lots of navel-gazing, lots of musing, things like that for the kinds of stories that we talk about here. Uh, there needs to be action. So I, I, thinking in my own mind of the number of times when I need somebody to bang me on the side of the head and say, okay, cut to the chase. And so I think maybe our literary equivalent of that is character in motion, get your character moving, right? Yes, yeah, I, I think so. And, and, and the way that it impacts everything. And you know, last week we were talking about setting and things like that and how it's, it, it's one thing to just be standing in the middle of the room and looking around describing their impact on you or on the character. It's another thing altogether to be walking through the room, um, dodging this thing that's in the middle of the room and, and uh, you know, reaching for the glass that's sitting on the wooden bar uh, kind of thing. So Very. That, there's a yeah. feeling of action there as opposed to two paragraphs of description. Right. That was pretty close to how we described it. Um, so, and go ahead. So when you're, when you are, you write high octane boots on the ground thrillers. Did I get the tagline right there? That was brilliant. Can you be my publicist? <laughs> <laughs> but is there in your own mind, is there a, a number of high octane scenes that need to be in the story? No. Um, actually, there have been times when I've been told there were too many. Like, can we dial this back a bit to give readers a chance to catch their breath? To which I said no. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was a concern. So I think it, it's never been a case of too many. It's been a case I mean, too few. It's been a case of, is there enough breathing room here for the story to develop? We started talking about the Reacher series. And as, as I watched the first episode, I couldn't wait until the first fight because I knew there would be a first fight. And then it seemed like in each episode, there was almost a quota of fight scenes that had to be there. I don't know whether or not mm -hmm. that was the case. But as a viewer, I would have been disappointed if there were none in an, in an episode. Uh, in maybe one episode, it felt like there might have been one too many. 
Um, but I, I just wonder on just in all aspects of storytelling, how do you find the balance between cut to the chase and we need a little bit more nuanced exploration here? That's a big yeah, question, I and I just hit I with know. it out of left field. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that because I think it's always going to depend on the story. It's going to depend on what kind of story you're trying to tell and what genre you're writing in. And ultimately, it is an issue of pacing. That is what they what, what it comes back to when they'll say, like, the pacing is off here. That's shorthand for... It's not balanced. What do you mean, balance? Like, you'll get a story where there's just a lot of action up front, and then it just lags, and then nothing's really happening, and then it picks up where there's a lot more action at the end. There, The pacing is off. It's not even. So, at least with thrillers, and it might be very, very different with other genres. I don't know because I don't have experience in them. But with thrillers, you... You have it's like a an up down like a trough like a if you look at a sine wave for example you know or electricity or anything that travels in waves it, you've got your highs and your lows you know your troughs and your peaks and that's kind of what storytelling is like when your plot is um pay, the pacing in the plot is balanced when it's good right when you when you have a lopsided situation going on where it's not even and your pacing is off you it's more like it goes straight up and then you've got a straight bar at the top and then it drops down and it's got a long flat space flat space again and then up and it's just like these you know rectangles on this wave instead of that even up and down flow then the pacing feels off so you're just like super breathtaking for a little bit and then you start to get bored and you're waiting to see where the story is going and it doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. And all of a sudden there's lots of action again, right? So sometimes that is a necessary part of the story. In The Informationist, for example, it does have some of those really long troughs or places where people would think the story is meandering, partly because it's just so different. The story is so different. It doesn't follow your typical, you know, genre expectations, I didn't know anything about genre when I was writing it. And so there are people who will go into it expecting a thriller. And because they don't uh, connect with the psychological aspects of what's going on, the, the more brainy, intelligent problem solving, they're like, nothing's happening in this story. So there's nothing you can do about that. And not every reader is going to connect with every story. There, uh, The doll, for example, is what I think is one of the most high octane stories that I've written. I mean, it just is relentless. It never stops. But there are readers who will go into that and think, yeah, the story is boring. There wasn't anything that took place because they just didn't connect with parts of the story that was action. Like they were looking for, they were looking for the fights, I guess. I don't know. And, and the tension didn't, it was a different kind of conflict, a different kind of tension in those particular scenes. So there is no universal sine wave. <laughs> it just, it's, it's not like if you follow this particular even type of pacing that it's going to work that way for everybody. There's always going to be somebody who's like, the pacing is off. I just didn't get with it. Whatever. You, 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 can't, you can't 
worry about that. The goal is to make it as evenly paced as you can possibly get it for the story to appeal to as wide of an audience. So in thrillers, you will get stories where it's just rush, 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 rush. And it's it almost feels like it's pure plot. And you could say that it has even pacing because that whole pacing is just pedal to the, you know, pedal to the floor nonstop. And some people really like that type of read. I don't personally. I prefer to be able to really develop and connect with the characters more than for in as much as a thriller will allow you to do so. And so I do have long gaps in my stories where we do downshift and then upshift and downshift again, you know, like, you know, but I try to keep it at least to have an even pacing where you don't cram all the action up in one spot and then it just lags and then it picks up again. That's what we're talking about when we say that the pacing is uneven. So a few weeks ago, we talked, we were talking about some mistakes that beginning writers make. And this is one that, that I have made and uh, probably others that are out there as well. And that's the whole idea of things are kind of meandering a little bit. And there's this sense that you need to cut to the chase. So you just throw in some conflict. And so this is, you know, assume that this is a writer who is not working off a really detailed plot where you're just kind of going along. It's like, okay, I need something to happen here. So I'm going to create this conflict. And then that conflict, unbeknownst to you, as you're writing this conflict, it impacts these other 19 scenes that you, because you haven't fully thought it through yet, uh, are going to really complicate your story. And that's, Another of these situations that we get ourselves in because we feel like maybe we've got the pacing wrong or something needs to happen here um, where, in effect, there's some director in the background in our mind saying, okay, cut to the chase. This is boring. Cut to the chase. And it, it just creates all these other problems. So are there let, – let's say that, that we're, I'm working on a manuscript and – and I'm feeling this sense of something needs to happen here, and that little director in the back of my mind is saying, make something happen here, what should I be thinking about before I just make something happen blindly? So as you're telling me all of this, I'm, I have your story in mind. So this answer is specifically for you. <laughs> and <I'm> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it will apply to other people too. But I think you need to develop your characters more. Like when you're getting that feeling like that, it's sort of this antsy feeling like, oh, this is lagging. The, 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 the story's not exciting enough. It's quite possible that it's not that the story isn't exciting enough. It's that that scene itself is feeling empty and the emptiness is being uh, interpreted in your brain as I need more excitement. But really what you need is more uh, character development and deepening of what already exists in that scene at the time. And it, it's maybe not the best analogy, but it reminds me a little bit of hunger and thirst. So like a lot of people, especially in our modern um, environment or, or the way modern living has, 
we have lost the ability to truly distinguish between hunger and thirst. And our bodies are often perpetually dehydrated mildly. And instead of our brain saying, oh, get up and go drink a glass of water, it says get up and eat something because it knows, you know that you're going to get some moisture (laughs) with the food, but it's not going to be enough to actually satiate thirst, just enough to kind of dull it a little bit. And then your body's still thirsty, so it tells you, oh, I'm still hungry, when really what you probably needed all along was just a really big glass of water. So it's a little bit similar, I think, in scenarios where you are feeling like something's not quite right, and your immediate instinct is throw in more action. That's like the body saying, I'm thirsty, and you're going, I'm going to go grab food. So before you throw in that not throw in action or something exciting without having thought it through make sure that you fully understand what's happening with your characters first what are the inner conflicts that they're going through what are the competing conflicts that they share like competing agendas how do their own um conflicting agendas or maybe two people are trying to uh use each other to achieve opposite ends. Maybe they are um, racing to find the same thing and trying to get information out of each other to figure out how much the other person knows. Maybe they're just trying to throw the other person off their trail to give them more of a chance to succeed at what they're doing. Maybe they have conflicting emotions where they really like the other person but don't trust them. All of that there is fodder for conflict. And so when you're thinking, oh, something exciting needs to happen, it's because you're feeling the emptiness of not enough conflict. But there are more ways to develop that conflict, and character is your primary way for developing conflict, so you go there first. And if your characters are completely developed and the story's all there, and it still feels like it's lagging, then you look at the inner dialogue. Is there too much navel-gazing going on? Are there too many words here that are, are slowing us down? Is there busy work? Are they doing mindless things that are just filling in the words but not actually advancing plot, character, or story? Then you cut those out. And if you've done all of that and the story still seems to be missing something, then you look at what you've already got as a story of a whole and think, what happens here that ties into what already happens that can add depth to the complexity that already exists? And if you're still drawing blanks after all of that, then you go, all right, let's throw some mud at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> That's an amazing answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I totally hit you with that out of left field. And uh, you hit it out of the park to use a baseball analogy. But that's only because I have your story in mind when I'm doing it. I'm, I, I can speak specifically. <laughs> but I do think that I'm not the only one who faces this issue. So uh, I, I suspect it's u- a useful answer for a lot of people. So that is it for this week's episode. You know, Taylor, we actually try and make these episodes around 20 minutes long. This one's around 23 minutes. And it feels super short because we've had so many long episodes recently. I know, quick, stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so thank you guys for listening. We will be back with you again next week. See you next week. Thanks for being here.